0: dust blowing through the air as four booted men walk purposely along the road, armed with Winchester rifles and Colt six-shooters. The sound of hooves on dirt and the bangs of all manner of weaponry blast everything else away. Saloons, gunfights, gold mines. The American West of the 1800s has been immortalized over and over again through movies, TV shows, and dime store novels. Legends like Wyatt Earp and his brothers, John Henry Doc Holliday, and Wild Bill Hickok get told and retold, often to the point of nausea. It was a time period in which the most mediocre of outlaw had a chance to become infamous. And not just the men, women from this era are some of the most extraordinary figures paving the way for such revolutions as the women's suffrage movements some hundred years later. In fact, Wyoming refused to enter into the Union unless the women of their state retained that right. The Wyoming legislator even went so far as to say, we may stay out of the Union 100 years, but we will come in with our women. It's hard to grow up in the United States and not develop at least a minor fascination with the Old West. I, myself, always had a fondness for the tales of cowboys and outlaws, from Geronimo to Sitting Bull to the infamous shootout at the O.K. Corral, and that fondness has only grown since moving out to Arizona, one of the many focal points to those legends. With so much happening during this time in history, both in America and abroad, It's no wonder that some stories even well-known stories often get shoved to the side to make way for the more famous among them annie oakley is still to this day something of a household name but what of charlie parkhurst the woman who lived life as a man and was known as the roughest toughest stagecoach driver in the west davy crockett Is a man whose life is part of American elementary school history classes. But Black Bart, one of the most prolific stagecoach robbers of the 1870s and 80s, and he has since been overshadowed by others. Today, I tell his story. Buffalo Bill once said, But the west of the old times, with its strong characters, its stern battles, and its tremendous stretches of loneliness can never be blotted from my mind. I'm Aidan Maine. Welcome to Haunting Historia. On August 3rd, 1877, a Wells Fargo stagecoach made its way from Point Arena to Duncan Mills in California. Somewhere along the route, a man wielding a shotgun stepped out from the bushes that lined the road. He wore a long, black duster and a flower sack on his head with holes cut for his eyes. The gun pointed straight at the driver and its owner ordered for him to hand over the strong box of cash. During the interaction, the robber remained terribly polite, never once using excessive force or language. Having received the money he'd come for, the man slipped away, but not before he dropped something on the ground. It looked like a piece of paper, and when the stagecoach driver examined it further, he found a poem written by the robber. I've labored long and hard for bread, for honor and for riches, but on my corns too long you've tread, you fine-haired sons of bitches." The rhyming note was signed, Black Bart, and the newspapers ran with it. The story of this mysterious outlaw spread like wildfire. The description of the man in question revealed that this same highwayman had been responsible for two other stagecoach robberies since 1875. And Black Bart was only just getting started. Bowles. He started life in, if not well off, then respectable situation. There's a lot of his life that still lies in shadow. For instance, many sources claim that he was born in Norfolk, in the UK, before moving to Jefferson County, New York. Others seem to say that he was born in New York. What we do know is that he first traveled west with two of his brothers, in 1849 in an effort to join in the California Gold Rush. Bowles' brothers unfortunately fell ill and died. But Charles was not the kind of man to just give up after a setback or two. He continued to mine for an additional two years before he decided luck was not on his side. Moving back the direction he came, he married a Miss Mary Elizabeth Johnson and by 1860, the pair had four children at their home in Illinois. Bowles managed to stay out of the Civil War for over a year, until he enlisted as a private in 1862. He was one of the lucky ones, as he managed to survive to be discharged in June of 1865, one month after the official end of the war, despite being grievously wounded in the Siege of Vicksburg in 1863. Two years after the war, the urge to attempt prospecting again hit Bulls hard, and he set out for Idaho and Montana. He sent a letter home to his wife in 1871 that may have been the catalyst for what was to come. In it, he described an interaction with agents from Wells, Fargo, and Company that wasn't altogether pleasant. He went on to vow his revenge against them. Mrs. Mary Bowles never heard from her husband again. The first of his many robberies took place on July 26, 1875, with the kind of flair that sounds more at home in a fictionalized version of the Old West, rather than the truth. Yet it really did happen. Bowles took a flour sack and cut two holes for seeing through, and then took up a position waiting for the Wells Fargo coach he knew would be heading in his direction. He calmly but confidently stepped out in front and brought the coach to a stop, using the loaded shotgun in his hands. As with every one of the robberies attributed to Bowles, he spoke with polite language, but threatened force if necessary. He ordered the driver to throw down the strongbox to him. Then, in an effort to prevent the driver from doing anything heroic, he yelled as he reached for the box. If he dares to shoot, give him a solid volley, boys. The driver looked to where Bowles yelled and saw a line of rifles pointing at him through the bushes. Outmanned and outgunned, he smartly complied with what the gunman told him to do. When the robber had left, he noticed that the rifles were still pointing at him. He went to investigate, only to discover that there was nothing there carefully concealed sticks pointing in the direction of his coach. By the third robbery, Bowles no longer felt satisfied simply stealing from Wells Fargo. He taunted them still further by leaving his little poems at the scene of the crime. Later, during questioning by a Wells Fargo detective, he would say that he came up with the name Black Bart off the top of his head the first time he wrote a poem that would become his trademark, and he decided to use it as his signature. However, the name likely came from a dime novel published by the Sacramento Union called The Case of Summerfield, wherein the villain, called Black Bart, dressed all in black and robbed Wells Fargo's stagecoaches. Several of his poetry pieces were found and collected, but only two from the third and fourth robberies were ever authenticated to have come from Black Bart himself. The first of those two was recited earlier. The second, left at a scene in July 1878, goes as follows. Here I lay me down to sleep to wait the coming morrow, perhaps success, perhaps defeat, and everlasting sorrow. Let come what will, I'll try it on, my condition can't be worse, and if there's money in that box, tis money in my purse. law known as Black Bart, with his flower sack mask and polite demeanor, held up and robbed twenty-eight stagecoaches during his infamous career, all of them owned by Wells Fargo. The bank considered him public enemy number one, and they sent agent after agent to try and bring him in. Every single time, they came away empty-handed. Part of Black Bart's success, as well as his notoriety, came from the method with which he stole. He was reportedly scared of horses, so all of his robberies were done on foot. He also, as has been previously mentioned, was the most polite outlaw anyone had ever encountered. According to every source I could find, Bart never once fired a shot from the gun that he used for the holdups. On one occasion, He supposedly liked the gun of the driver he was stealing from, and paid him fifty dollars on the spot for it. He became known as the Gentleman Bandit, and were it not for the simplest bit of evidence, he might have continued robbing Wells Fargo into bankruptcy. November 3rd, 1883, stagecoach driver, Reason McConnell, headed on his route from Sonora to Milton. Riding along with him was the son of the Reynolds Ferry owner, 19-year-old Jimmy Rollery. After crossing the river, Rollery hopped off to do a little hunting before meeting back up with the stagecoach further down the road. But McConnell wasn't waiting for him where they had agreed. So young Jimmy headed back along the coach path until he saw the driver sitting at the summit of Funk Hill with the horse team. He informed Rollery that a bandit had appeared and forced him at shotgun point to unhitch the horses and lead them over the crest of the hill. Bowles, meanwhile, was attempting to bribe a strongbox from where it had been bolted to the floor of the coach. It took time, enough time for McConnell to return with Rollery and his rifle. They fired four shots at Black Bart, only one of which hit, before he escaped into the bushes. The gentleman bandit had been struck in the left hand, and he used a handkerchief to stem the flow of blood. That handkerchief somehow got left behind, and Wells Fargo detectives collected it as evidence. They found a laundry mark on it, FX-07. After questioning nearly 90 laundries in the city of San Francisco, they finally found the one where the mark originated. This led them to Charles Earl Bowles, living quite the fancy lifestyle thanks to all the money stolen from Wells Fargo. Black Bart Bowles lived the kind of life that the West became famous for, even in his own time. And while his infamy as the Gentleman Bandit was quite the sensation, it's the rumors and theories surrounding his life after his capture that truly fascinate. Stick around after the break to hear all about it. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aiden Maine, with music by John Bjork. I love history, and all the interesting stories that can be found when poking around in the past. And I love bringing these stories back with me, to the audience here on this podcast. The community for Haunting Historia might still be small, but it's been incredibly consistent, and I couldn't be more thankful for that. Unfortunately, 2020 hasn't been as kind, and it has caused me to ask for help. In order to keep uploading episodes, I've had to subscribe to increase the storage space through my host site. To help in this endeavor, I have set up a Patreon for fans to support me in keeping the lights on. All donations will go towards improving the show, marketing, and all around making it the best podcast it can be. If you wish to become a patron, just search Haunting Historia on Patreon, or follow the link in the episode descriptions moving forward. And as always, if you have an idea for an episode, reach out to me directly using stories at hauntinghistoria.com or through the contact form on hauntinghistoria.com. Charles Earl Bowles was arrested in 1883, at the age of 53. Though he protested his innocence to most of the robberies, he was convicted and sentenced to six years in prison. All the while, authorities mentioned his genuine wit under most trying circumstances and extremely proper and polite behavior. He initially denied being black But eventually, he confessed to the earliest of the crimes, likely believing the statute of limitations to have passed for them. However, due to his unsurprising good behavior in prison and a declining health problem, he only served four of the six years he had been sentenced to. When he was released in January of 1888, reporters clamored to get a quote from him, asking if he would return to robbing stagecoaches. Bowles said, No, gentlemen, I'm through with crime. But here is where his story begins to get interesting again. Just one month later, in February 1888, Bowles traveled to Visalia, a town in the San Joaquin Valley of California. Wells Fargo agents tracked him there, likely to keep an eye on him in case he had been less than truthful about abstaining from a life of crime but he had already vanished by the time they got there. The owner of a hotel called Visalia House confirmed that a man fitting Bull's description did indeed check in, but he was gone. February 28, 1888 is the last time anyone can confirm that Black Bart had ever been seen. Boundless theories sprang up, none of which has ever been proven. Some say that Wells Fargo paid Bowles a significant amount as insurance against him robbing any more of their coaches. Wells Fargo themselves deny this. Others insist that he moved back to New York to live out the rest of his days in relative peace. Johnny Thacker, who was one of the detectives involved in Bowles' arrest, claimed he knew for a fact that Bowles left for Japan. And then, there was a curious instance later in the very year that Bulls disappeared. A lone bandit robbed another Wells Fargo coach on November 14th, 1888. He too left a verse, which read, So here I've stood, while wind and rain have set the trees a-sobbin', and risked my life for that box that wasn't worth the robbin'." The same detective caught Bulls in the first place, one James B. Hume, examined the note. He determined that the handwriting did not compare to that of the original poems confirmed to be from Black Bart, and thus this was a copycat. However, handwriting can be easily altered if one was so committed to doing so. Maybe Bulls meant it when he said he was done with crime. But maybe, just maybe, Black Bart did not. If you enjoyed this episode of Haunting Historia, and I invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just like the days of the Wild West, history is full of stories that get pushed to the side and forgotten. There are more stories that don't get told in class than those that do. And for as long as I am able, I intend to continue bringing you those tales of the fascinating and the haunting, one week after another. Join me. So you never miss a single moment. Never forget the importance of history. To know nothing of what happened before you took your place on Earth is to remain a child forever and ever. Source Unknown